You've heard it a million times now. Improving your writing will make you better at just about any modern job. But is that really the case? And if it is, why? How does it actually work? And most importantly, how do you actually improve your skills as a writer? Anne Handley, a digital marketing pioneer and Wall Street Journal best-selling author, has spent her career writing, thinking about writing and helping others get better at writing. She breaks down why effective writing is so important across all industries and she shares the best ways to hone your own writing skills. My name is Dr. Amantha Imba. I'm an organisational psychologist and the founder of behavioural science consultancy Inventium. And this is How I Work, a show about how to help you do your best work. So through her writing, Anne has given me so many amazing tips to be a better writer, especially in her best-selling book, Everybody Writes. So I wanted to know, what's the best advice Anne has ever received on how to be a better writer? I think the best advice that I ever got to about, about writing in general, which inspired me to become a better writer, is that the more, well, I should say the better you can write, the more capable you are, the more confident a writer you are, the more successful you will be in no matter what your chosen field is. The person who told me that was a college professor. Um, I had, I think, my freshman freshman year of college, um, and his name was Sean Gresh, and he taught communication of some kind. I was a communications and journalism and English major, and he he, he taught something in community. I don't even remember the name of the class. I don't remember any of my classmates, I don't remember the material, but I do remember Sean Gresh and I remember him saying that to me directly. I remember what we, what we were doing. We were, we were standing in his classroom after class had gotten out and I don't even remember what precipitated it or why he felt that he had to share that with me, but he shared it with me. And I think of that, I kid you not, at least, I don't know, two or three times a week still. Like I've been out of college for decades and I still think about that. And I still tell my kids, I tell my any any younger professionals in my life. Um, I wrote it in a in a I signed a copy of my book for a friend's daughter who just graduated from college because uh, I think of it all the time and I think it's 100 percent true. It's not about necessarily writing like the act of writing. And yes, that is important. But really what that means is that you're able to distill your thoughts and your ideas and communicate them in something in a way that will inspire other people, that will galvanize them, that'll make your ideas understood and ultimately accepted and successful. And I, I just have found that to be so true. Like every professional, anything, like any professional accolade, any professional success that I've had in my life, I can trace back to the fact that I can write and that I, I'm constantly working on my writing. Now, one of the hats that you wear is as an editor and you read a lot of writing and edit a lot of people's writing as, as part of what you do. I I want to understand what are some of your biggest pet peeves with different types of writing that you're reading as part of your work. And I want to actually start 
with emails, not that you're sitting editing emails, but I imagine you're probably reading emails through a different lens than most of us. What are your biggest pet peeves when you read other people's emails? You know, one of the things that just bothers me about writing in general is that we do think that the ability to write well is geared toward knowing the rules of grammar. And to some degree, that's kind of true, but it's not just that. I mean, it's so much more than that. And so when I think about pet peeves, it's mostly about just loosening up and just letting your own voice come out. Um, I was reading something this morning that was sent to me from a friend whose mom, her mom had written it. Her mom works for um, as a superintendent of schools. And as I was reading it, I was like, oh, my goodness, it feels like it was written by a robot. It's like and actually even modern AI robots could write better than this. You could sense her anxiety, her fear, her her just like her inability to let go of like sounding professional in a certain way. So that's the kind of thing that bothers me more than anything else. Like I don't really have pet peeves about, you know, spelling or grammar because, I, you know, you can learn all that. Like that's fixable. It's editable. um, But it's more when people don't trust their own voice or when they don't use their own voice. Mm. So then what are the most common mistakes that you see people make in things that they write? One of the things is we tend to almost write a preamble before we get into what we want to say. Uh, I see this a lot with individuals who are looking to, I don't know, like write a blog post or uh, you see it in books a lot too, or you see it all over the place. And once you'll, once you notice it, you'll notice it all the time. It's a kind of thing like uh, once you see it, you'll just like, you'll notice it everywhere. Um, And that is, you know, rather than just getting right into something right into the issue that you're talking about or or something that you want to say instead we tend to do a lot of like well you know the purpose of this post is this and the reason why i'm doing this is because you know it's like forget about that so let it all go just get right into what it is that you want to say i talk about that as a, a kind of taking a running start when you're beginning a piece like it's fine to take a running start to kind of warm up but then what you should do is go back and lop off like the first paragraph? Can you lop off the first paragraph and does it still make sense? Can I get into this quicker? Can I get into it faster? You know, because we are all distracted. You know, we have a lot going on all the time and you don't want to waste anybody's time. It's been eight years since you wrote the first edition of Everybody Writes, which I I remember one of my teammates uh, quite a few years ago, she gave me this book and she said, this is the best book I've read on writing. And I said, oh, I have to read it. Um, And I read it and I agreed with her. It was absolutely the best book that I've ever read about how to be a better writer. And now reading the second edition, it's such a joy, like revisiting things that I learned and learning more things. I'm curious as to how, like, what are the things that you've learned in the last eight years that have made you a better writer? So my intention was to to do the equivalent of, you know, uh, you know, running the vacuum over over the place, maybe doing a little light dusting, you know, maybe spray some like, you know, like spray some Febreze around and like freshen it up in that way. Then I sat down to to read it again, just to start making some notes. And I thought, you know, I'll probably end up with like maybe 10 pages of notes of things that I need to change. But as I started reading, I kept writing things down and writing things down. And next thing I know, I had 30 pages of notes and then 40 pages of notes. And I was like, uh oh, I think what we're going to do here is not a dusting and not a vacuuming, not a 
Febrezing to freshen. Instead, what we're going to do is take it right down to the studs and we're going to build it from the ground up. So to your point, it's like, yeah, a lot of the bones are there. Like a lot is similar, but there's also a, a whole lot of new stuff in it. Um, and a lot of that reflects my thinking. So for example, in the first edition, I talked about 13 things that we as creators, as entrepreneurs, as businesses write, as business owners write. In the second edition, there's 20 things. Now, why is that? It's not because I discovered there's like, you know, things that have been around forever. It's because they've happened in the past eight years, you know? Um, it's because now we are writing a whole lot more. We're communicating a whole lot more. There's new channels and new new areas of communication that, that we need to explore. Um, and in some cases, my thinking has expanded too. Like in the first edition, I had a very, very thin chapter about email. The second edition, I have three chapters all about email, email newsletters, direct response, email, and why I believe so strongly in, in email as a communication tool. So all of that had changed. But you know, what's more than that, and I think this kind of answers your question, like I've changed, you know, because one of the things that I really realized when I went through and started reading the first edition of the book in anticipation of writing the next edition was that how different my voice sounded. And as I read the first edition, I almost didn't recognize the writer, even though the writer was me, even though I wrote that, you know, eight or nine years ago at this point, I didn't recognize how I phrased things. And I sensed this writer feels a little bit uptight and this writer feels like, you know, she has some anxiety and that was me. So one of the things I did was kind of got rid of all that. I kind of addressed it head on and, and just rewrote it with my own voice now. And what I've done over the past, you know, eight years since the first edition, in particular, I'd say in the last four or five years is that I've been a much more consistent creator in a public way so that even though I wrote a book, like I just, I wasn't necessarily practicing writing on a regular basis. And what I've done is I've launched an email newsletter, for example. And the significance of that is that I publish every other Sunday. And that means that I have a deadline that I set for myself every, every other Sunday. I have to, whether I want to or not, I'm communicating with an audience, offering them value. And it's taught me a lot about how to engage others through my writing, just through that, the, the kind of practice of that email newsletter. So it's not just an email newsletter. Really what it is, is it's really, it's been, it's been a way that I've grown like as a writer. Um, I mean, certainly like marketing has changed, channels have changed, all the things that, you know, that, that are, are new in marketing, but also our world has changed. You know, we, we are here in you know, at the very end of 2022, you and I are talking, heading into 2023, and we're still in a post-COVID world, and we will always be in a post-COVID world, but we're still, um, you know, the effects of it are, are still with us. And so, that yeah, there's a lot of things that have changed. We've changed, the world has changed, marketing has changed, um, and I've changed. We will be back soon with how to find your own voice when it comes to writing, along with Anne's thoughts on AI writing tools. If you're looking for more tips to improve the way that you work, I write a short fortnightly newsletter that contains three cool things that I've discovered that help me work better, ranging from software and gadgets that I'm loving through to interesting research findings. You can sign up for that at howiwork.co. That's howiwork.co.
You mentioned how the voice of Anne had changed in the last eight years. And I guess, you know, you could call that your your brand voice. Um, I, I'm curious as to how have you gone about developing or finding your brand voice? Because I feel like it's something that a lot of people struggle with and they feel like they just have to fit into the corporate brand, for example, that they work within. A big misconception about brand voice is that it's something you find, you know, that it doesn't exist. And you like are, are walking in the forest one day and you trip over it. And now it's like, oh, look, there's my brand voice. Like it doesn't work that way. Instead, it's actually something that's already inside you. I mean, it's already there. And I think it's about tapping into it and allowing it to come out, having the confidence to let it out. All of those things instead of finding your voice. Um, because we all, you know, we all have it. It's not like an artificial thing that's like thrust upon us externally. Instead, it's within us. When we're working with brands, though, like say, for example, if I'm a content creator who is writing, I don't know, um, maybe writing blog posts for like a big corporate brand. Well, like, how do I figure out like using my voice within that construct? I mean, think about the parameters of your brand. Who are you? What do you stand for? Um, not you personally, but the brand you work for. Like, what are they all about? Like, they should have some parameters around their own around their own voice, like in some kind of voice guide or something like that. I talk about that in the second edition. But that doesn't mean that you have to write like them. Like, you're not shoving your voice into those into that construct. Instead, it's about how do I use my voice within that construct? So, I think of it as kind of like um, like guardrails, you know, it makes sure you don't like fly off into like no man's land and like crash and burn. But at the same time, you know, it's not meant to be restrictive either. So when I think about brand voice, that's how I think about it. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, the idea that it's it's not something that you find or that you look for. It's kind of, I guess, tapping into what's already within us. Um, I, what advice would you give individuals who are just trying to sort of uncover like what what is their actual voice as opposed to the voice that they've almost been trained to talk in, like in emails and reports that is typically very formal for a lot of us. Mm, yeah. I mean, I think the best thing you can do is just start, start creating. You know, the only way that you can really understand how to write is by practicing your, your words, like practice your voice. Um, and that's the way that you can tap into it. Again, your voice is already in you. You just have to figure out, you know, what it is and, and how to use it. Um, I mean, the only way that I know how to, to become a better writer is and to find your voice. It's it's kind of one and the same. I think it's about practicing, you know, and it's about keeping a, a, a daily um, a daily habit. We forget that writing is as simple as, you know, like working out, like going to the gym, like you can't have a gym membership and never show up and expect to, you know, be stronger or buffer or better looking or have, you know, a, a tighter bottom or any of it, right? It's just not going to happen. You've got to put in the reps, you've got to do the work, you've got to work your muscles. And the same thing is true about writing um, you know, you can't just expect to find your voice if you're not actively engaging it, if you're not actively trying to build that muscle. That's ultimately what gave me the confidence and the ability to to really hone my voice because, because I showed up every two weeks and I used it. And the other thing that I did is I started keeping a daily journal. I always had a really hard time with 
writing daily in anything. Like, for example, I was a really like bookish kid, right? I wanted to be a writer from the time that I was a little kid. I wanted to, um, like, I always loved creating stories and that kind of thing. And so what do people give like bookish kids who want to be writers for, for a holiday? They give them diaries, right? I, so I, my family, my aunts, my uncles, my, my, my um, extended family was always giving me diaries. I must've had a stack of them by the time I was like 10 years old. But the thing is I would like start writing it at like day one. I was like gung ho, I'm going to do it day two, day three. And then by day six or seven, I was like, ugh, this is like so boring. You know, I can't stand writing about my life. It's like, I've already lived it. I have nothing else to say. And again, I was a pretty young kid, but over the years I've like tried it, tried to keep that daily writing habit again. Like the idea of like putting in the reps, it's like, I should keep a diary. And like, that's the mantra, isn't it? That writers all have journals and that they all like record their thoughts and like they're, they're so their, their deepest thoughts and ideas and fears and all of that. Um, and so I had like, I've alternatively had like two reactions to that. One would be like, you know, all writers keep a journal. I'd be like, yeah, well, not me, suckers. So, <laughs> oh, well. Or the other way I'd feel was like, you know, all writers keep a journal. I'd be like, oh, what is wrong with me? You know? <laughs> so I had these two like things like at a, at, at, um, it were in conflict with, with, with one another inside of me until finally one day I thought, you know what, maybe I'm just doing it wrong. Like maybe instead of just, writing my thoughts and feelings and fears and ideas, maybe instead what I should do is just like use it to, as a place to record stories, like things that happen in my life, um, in the world around me, maybe I should just start, start doing it and just commit to it. And so I made a commitment. All right, you know, I'm going to do it for 90 days. I want to see what happens. And that's exactly what I did. So I call it my 15 minutes of Sunday because Sunday mornings for me are very like slow and like, contemplative kind of time. It's like the only morning of the week where I don't feel like an urgency to rush off and in some kind of industry. So it's 15 minutes of Sunday is like, I, I now practice that every single day. And instead of writing down things like, I don't know, like things that I'm afraid of or things that I hope for or wish for, or like any emotions or anything like that, that does like that kind of journal keeping doesn't work for me. Like I know it works for other people, no shade, but doesn't work for me. So I thought um, instead of that, I'm just going to like write down a conversation that I heard at the post office between the, a patron at the post office who was trying to buy stamps and the person at the window who was like, they were just not, they were not communicating. You know, <laughs> they just could not get on the same page for whatever reason. It was a ridiculous conversation. But it was so funny because it was like, they just, they weren't listening to one another at all. And it became like, for all of us in line, it kind of became a study in like how um, how it's it's easy when you when you lack empathy for the other person, how you truly cannot hear what they're saying. <laughs> and so that's exactly what was going on with these two. So that's the kind of thing like that I would write down. Um, and I'm just sharing that story with you as a way to um, to tell you like that ultimately is what helped me find my voice, you know, having that daily practice ultimately is is what has contributed to just me being a more confident and and capable writer. Your your writing is really funny. Like everybody writes is is laugh out loud funny. And you mention in the book that inserting humor is typically what you do in the edit uh, as opposed to the first draft. And I was curious as to how how do you identify 
those opportunities for humor? Like what strategies are you using to inject humor when you're doing the edit? I don't know that it's a strategy. I guess it's just, I'm always looking to make anything that I write more visually engaging. And so a lot of my humor comes out of that. (laughs) You know, I want to paint a picture in the mind of the reader and I want to paint a picture in a way that's memorable. And so sometimes I'll just think about the most ridiculous scenario that I possibly can, metaphorically speaking, and I'll just articulate that. So for example, this past weekend, I was writing about um, AI writing tools, right? AI writing platforms. Everyone's talking about them. Chat GPT just came out and everybody is like, oh my God, it's revolutionary to writing. And oh my God, we're never going to have to write again because now we have robots to do for us. And like, oh, there's so much hysteria and emotion and like attitude about it. And I was like, oh, for God's sake, like calm down, everyone. So I wrote about that. I wrote about how I think about um, AI writing tools and where I see them as beneficial to, to writers, to creators. And one of the analogies that I made was that, you know, my hope is that at some point an AI writing tool will start to challenge us as writers a little bit. Like I would relish that kind of writing tool in my life. Um, And so the analogy that I said is like, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if, and I laid out all these scenarios, and one of them was if an AI writing tool could show us that this leap of logic that we made is as wide as the Grand Canyon, and that there's no way for us to get from here to the other side, for the reader to get from here to the other side, unless you give them a like a pack mule or a burrow, right? To like sort of go go down into the canyon and get them up to the other side. And so that's just a visual way of saying it's too big of a leap of logic, right? So that's where my humor comes from. It's my impulse, I guess, or my um, my wish just to tell stories in a way that are memorable. And like that to me, like thinking about a leap of logic as like literally like an idea or the reader maybe with our, you know, (laughs) getting onto a mule or a donkey and like going to the end end of the uh, of the um into the bottom of the Grand Canyon and then out the other side until finally, oh, I get what they were saying. Like, that's the idea. Like somehow the idea is, is, is traversing, they're, they're able to traverse this leap of logic through the, the donkey if we lead them there. Um, it just made me laugh. And so I thought, yeah, that's funny. I love that advice about thinking about how you can make your writing more visual to inject more humor. And I definitely, that really resonates after reading your book. But I also feel like you're so great at, um, I don't know, they're almost like little little quips um, is the best way I can describe them uh, along the, the journey of, of reading your book. Um, where do they come from? Is that from just being in touch with the voice of Anne or is that something else? Hmm, like quips like what? Like what do you mean? Uh, let me have a look. Let me see if I can find something. Like things like, okay, all right, Um in other words, I make a list. It feels less intimidating to make a list than it does to write. Do you ever feel stumped about where to begin a shopping list, a to-do list, a wish list for Santa? Me neither. And me neither. It's kind of like that's that's the quip. That's that's sort of what I oh, mean. I see. Yeah. 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 A conversation with you. Yeah, that's all it is. It's like I think that's just the way that I approached this book in particular was feeling like it was a conversation with me. And so yeah, that's where that me neither comes from. The Santa thing, though, actually comes from what we were talking about a, sec- a second ago, like thinking about making a list. Like I could have just said, do you ever get stuck when you're making a shopping list, like full stop. But 
Like, what if you took that to its illogical conclusion, right? Like, what if you kept pushing that? What other kinds of lists are there? There's like, yeah, there's shopping lists or there's like all kinds of like, but you know who else has a list is like Santa, right? Santa makes a list. He checks it twice. So <laughs> it's like, it's just thinking, taking a, an idea, a metaphor, and just like really pushing it as far as you can. That's where I get, that's where a lot of the humor lives. And that's where I think a lot of the, um, it's, that's a lot of what my voice is, is about. Sometimes, by the way, I can get stuck in that shtick though, you know, and I have to be really careful with it because sometimes it's too much. Like you can do too much of that and it doesn't, it starts to feel too annoying. You know, it starts to feel cloying. It starts to feel like you're, you're, you're sacrificing clarity for the reader for the laugh, like for yourself, you know, so you have to be careful that you're not too selfish with that, if you know what I mean. So every single paragraph, line, sentence can't be like that. You've got to really think about the pacing with which you're sort of dropping those bits of humor, bits of personality, little little quips, as you call them, um, because otherwise it just becomes like it feels like writing. It feels overwhelming. And the reader is like, oh, for God's sakes, like get over yourself. You know, like you're not that funny. It's like I just tell, give me the information. So, in a, you know, in a, in a book like this, ultimately it needs to be it needs to serve the reader first. So the entertainment has to come second. So I was very aware of that. I didn't use everything like, you know. It starts to sound unhinged, in other words. You know, I start to sound like, um, like I don't know if, if you follow um, uh, if you follow any like big brands on on TikTok, but there's some real unhinged brands on on TikTok, right? So Duolingo, for example, you start to sound like the Duolingo owl, like, Bleh! and it's like you don't want to come across like that. Like you don't want to be that. You ultimately want to be just just sprinkling in enough of that so it feels fun, but not to the point where it just gets like too much and too heavy and, and, and annoying. I want to talk about technology because you have a whole bunch of, of tips and, and various tools that you use where technology can help you be a better writer. Um, and, and look, since earlier we were, we were talking about chat GPT, what are some of the tools that you're using, um, you know, whether they're AI or other technology to help improve your writing? Mm, yeah, I list a bunch of them in there. Um, I mean, there's just some some basic things that I use. I use Grammarly all the time um, just to, you know, kind of correct things sometimes, my emails and whatnot. Um, I, uh, I run everything that I write, like every newsletter, every blog post, that kind of thing. Not necessarily like every single email or tweet. I don't go to that extreme, but I run almost everything else through the Grammarly tool. Another one of my favorite tools, and this is mostly just for word choice for me, is called relatedwords.org. It's all one word, related words. The thing I like about that is that very often if I'm stuck with anything, like if I'm just not sure where to go, I'll just go to related words and I'll put in a word, just like something that I'm thinking about or writing about. The thing I like about it is that it's not like a straight up thesaurus or a dictionary. Instead, it literally delivers like related words, words that are related to that word. Um, and I like that tool a lot. It's very simple. It's not high tech at all. It's just a website, very simple interface. But I like it because it it jogs my own memory and it jogs my own brain. Mm. What other what other software have you found useful? You know, over the past few years, maybe you're not currently using it, but you've got some utility out of it at some point. Yeah, um, Scrivener is one that I've used to write books. Scrivener is a Basically, it's it's a way to help organize and 
and, and writes something long form. So it's overkill if you're just going to use it for a blog post. But if you're looking for, for something um, to help you organize like a, a book or like an ebook or a research paper, something long form, in other words, like more than say, like, I don't know, five or 6,000 words, um, then I think it's a really helpful tool, especially if it has like multiple components or chapters or sections. So Scrivener is like a, a great tool for long form. It's how I write my books, essentially. It's just easier to move things around than it is by using something like Word or Google Docs or something like that. One final thing I'd love to to know is that you must have received so much feedback from readers. I'd love to know what are the tips and techniques that you've written about that really, really tend to resonate that you hear over and over again from from readers? I think most people really relate to the way that I explain something in a, in a very simple, accessible way. Like I heard from so many people this weekend after I wrote about AI writing tools who were like, oh, like, thank you. Like, thank you for just like being a, a voice of reason that stands outside of like the hype squad who's just all in on AI that are either hysterical about it because it's going to take the job of every writer and we're going to like be poor and never work again. Or like that was one extreme or the other extreme, which is like, oh my God, this is revolutionary. It's going to completely change all of our content programs. And it's like, none of those, neither of those extremes are true. And so I tried to really present what I thought as a more realistic and, and moderate view of something that is it cool? Yeah, it's like amazing. There's some really cool things about it, but it's not going to completely put writers out of work. I think it's ultimately all about like who is holding the tool. It's not about the tool. It's who is holding it. So that's the kind of feedback that I get more than anything else. Like um, not just accolades, but just saying like that they finally understand something or that they feel empowered because I said things in a way that just made it not dumbed down at all, but very simple and accessible. I think it's really hard to write about complex things in a simple way. And I try to do that as much as I can. I don't always succeed, but I try to think, what do, what do people really need to hear about? What do they really need to know about? And, um, and I try to think about things from the perspective of my audience. And that seems to really resonate the most. And for people that want to consume more of what you are putting out into the world and what you're writing, what's the best way for people to do that? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, you can uh, visit my website at annhanley.com or connect with me in all the social channels. Uh, we talked about my email newsletter. That's certainly the best way to keep in touch with me. And that's at annhanley.com slash newsletter if you want to sign up there and check it out. And if you do, please hit reply after you sign up. Um, and uh and say hello because that's the start of uh, of a friendship. Awesome. And it's been such a pleasure to chat to you after being a fan of your writing for so long. So thank you so much for, for sharing the past uh, hour with me. Oh, yeah. Thank you. It's so nice to chat with you. I hope you're feeling inspired to go out and hone your writing skills. I wonder what piece of advice you're going to try to apply today. For me, one of the biggest changes I've made to my writing since reading Anne's book, Everybody Writes, and speaking with her is to give myself permission to write in shorter paragraphs. And now, some of my paragraphs contain only one word. I feel like my high school English teacher would have a heart attack knowing that, but hey, if it makes my writing easier to consume, then I am all for it. Thank you for sharing part of your day with me by listening to How I Work. 
If you're keen for more tips on how to work better, connect with me via LinkedIn or Instagram. I'm very easy to find. Just search for Amantha Imber. How I Work was recorded on the traditional land of the Wurundjeri people, part of the Kulin Nation. I am so grateful for being able to work and live on this beautiful land and I want to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. How I Work is produced by Inventium with production support from Deadset Studios. The producer for this episode was Liam Reardon. And thank you to Martin Imber, who did the audio mix and makes everything sound better than it would have otherwise.